Today's script reading is from 1 Peter 3, verse 1 to 7, which can be found in the Church Bible, page 1219. So 1 Peter 3, verse 1 to 7. Wives, in the same way submit yourselves to your own husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. When they see the purity and reverence of your lives, your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Husbands, in the same way be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. This is the word of the Lord. Please do keep that open. And we're going to spend some time there. Let's pray before we do. Heavenly Father, we've uh, just read words that are uh, saying something different from uh, what our culture um, uh, lives by and believes. Uh, maybe something different from what we believe. And we just pray that you'd help us by your Holy Spirit to make sense of what's on the page and to see its impact uh, in our daily lives. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I uh, intimated in that prayer, um, uh, if we've been influenced, um, as I'm assuming all of us have been, by um, feminism and particularly the more extreme forms of feminism, then we will find that we've just read something that will have raised our hackles. On the other hand, uh, if there are any male chauvinists in the room, we're probably cheering inside. So let me uh, say straight up that neither extreme feminism nor male chauvinism, especially not male chauvinism, are what God wants for his people, for men and women. And crucially in terms of what we're looking at here, they're not what makes for a good marriage. So I hope we'll all have a healthy dose of humility as we look at this. Um, And the reason I say that is uh, we live in a society where there's a lot of focus on relationships, isn't there, in our society, in what we talk about, um, how we spend time, songs, books, films, TV shows. There's lots of focus on relationships. But despite all of that, uh, we're not brilliant at them always. Some people we know and they seem to you know, have easy marriages. Um, but many people we know, they don't. And uh, 40, just over 40%, I looked it up, of uh, marriages end in divorce. And lots of people aren't even bothering with marriage nowadays because it just seems too much of a commitment. So we know lots about relationships. But when it comes to living them out, we find that a challenge. And I want to suggest we might just have something to learn from what God says. Because this morning we're looking at what God says is key to a good, happy, lasting marriage. Two sections, first addressed to women and then one addressed to men. So in terms of how this will apply to us as a congregation this morning, 
Uh, Those of us who are in marriages or who want to be in marriages one day, well, that will particularly apply. Those of us who are single, well, we'll want to support our married friends, won't we? I hope. Uh, uh, We want the families in this church to be good families, happy families. And uh, we want that for their good, but also for the good of our church family as we all come together, that we might bless one another, that families might have energy to bless others rather than just uh, always struggling uh, from one week to the next. Uh, A key to a happy marriage then, if you're a woman, according to 1 Peter uh, chapter 3. Do you see the key word in verses 1 to 7? I think the key word is in verse 5. Hope. Hope in God. I know the most striking word is the word submit, and we're going to come to that. It's the main thing being talked about here. But submission is the fruit rather than the root. Yeah, get that analogy? It's the apples rather than the tree itself. The tree itself is hope in God. And the fruit is submission in relationship. The example's given of great women in the past. And these great women in the past, they knew that the, their marriage, as important as it was, wasn't the most important relationship in their lives. They knew that their relationship with God mattered more than anything else. And their identity came from their relationship with God. He was the one who guaranteed the future. He was the one they hoped in. They, put, they lived day by day, looking forward, enjoying a relationship with God, and looking forward to being with him one day in the new heavens and the new earth. Now, these women who hoped in God made themselves attractive in a certain way. Did you notice that? In verse 4. It's in a gentleness and quietness of spirit that meant that they submitted to their husbands. The The key to a happy marriage, according to 1 Peter 3, for women, is to hope in God. The fruit in their relationships with their husbands is a willingness... To submit. So let's think about that word, submit, submission. It's not about inequality or inferiority or anything like that. Jesus, who is in very nature God, submitted himself to God the Father. Uh, it's a word that Peter's used in chapter 2. Uh, we are God's chosen people, Christians. We are a royal priesthood. And we are told to submit to unbelieving authorities in government and to masters even when they are harsh and cruel, which it does help us to go to work on Monday morning, doesn't it? And then, chapter 3, verse 1, wives, submit to your husbands. In, in the same way, it says, doesn't it? In the same way, wives, even when they're not perfect husbands, which they're not. In the same way as chapter 2, verse 13, I'm assuming... Namely, for the Lord's sake. Do you remember we looked at that a couple of weeks ago? It's, 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 it's all about living out our relationship with the Lord in a particular way in our relationships with human beings. Uh, so submission here is not about being passive. It's not about letting people walk over you. Uh, the uh, verse on the front of the service sheets from Ephesians 5 uh, shows the context in every church is that church is to be a place where we submit to one another, again, out of reverence for Christ. You see that same theme? It's, um, it's um, uh, before the Lord. Uh, it's uh, out of reverence uh, for Christ. It's for the Lord's sake. It's the same 
vertical relationship affecting our horizontal relationship. So, in a marriage, a wife then is being called to actively work to help her husband to be a good leader in the home and to be prepared to follow his leadership where that's needed. I mean, a lot of practical decisions every day, there's no need for leadership, you just get on with it, don't you? But sometimes when you're making big decisions, there is going to be a discussion between the husband and wife and a decision where they don't actually agree and someone's going to need to take the lead. Now, there's going to be a whole lot of communication needed if a bloke's going to be any sort of decent leader. Sure, he needs space to make decisions, but he also needs the right information, and a good wife will make sure he has the right information, that he knows what's what. She'll explain it to him so that he can make dis- uh, good decisions. Do you see? Uh, but it's not about being a doormat. It's actively working to be a team in the husband-wife relationship and women wanting your husband to be a better man and investing in him being so. So why in verse 3 does Peter bring up the issue of clothes and hairstyle and jewellery? Well, look at the context in verses 1 and 2. The context is women married to unbelieving husbands who, who desperately want to win their husbands to Christ. And Peter's just assuming that, that, that that's not going to really happen if the woman is preaching at her husband. He, he's just assuming that that's not, that's not how men and women are, and that if the woman's trying to preach at her husband, that's, that's not going to win him. But he's also flagging that it, it's not going to win him to Christ if she spends all her time reading Vogue and um, just making herself externally beautiful. She shouldn't think that she can win him with a great new hairstyle, a better tan, beautiful jewellery and stylish clothes. You may attract him to you, if you do that, but not to God. If you want to attract him to God and win him to God, your beauty is going to have to be the internal beauty of a woman who knows the Lord and who is transformed by Jesus Christ. And your role model is Sarah, who was a stunningly beautiful woman outside but who was a role model because she led Abraham lead. And wives are taught to be Sarah's daughters here, with the internal beauty of a transformed life, a Christ-like character, which submits to Jesus because your hope's in God. Sorry, submits like Jesus did. I thought that didn't sound right when I said it. That's my notes say, which submits like Jesus did. Jesus is our role model whether we're male or female. For the woman, it's Jesus submitting to the Father uh, in his life that actually that's, that's what the woman is called to sacrificially follow. Uh, for the man, this is from Ephesians rather than 1 Peter, the uh, Christ is a role model because he's got to sacrificially give himself for the wife. So Jesus is a role model for both uh, man and wife. Let me apply this then to three groups of people in our church. Uh, Women married to non-Christian men, first of all, or in a relationship with a non-Christian man. Uh, Men married to Christian women, second of all. And unmarried women who are trying to meet someone. Those are three ways I thought it went out. I'm sure there's more ways, but that's what we'll focus on. First of all, women married to non-Christian men. We have some very strong women in our church, which is great. 
We've got some real leaders among the women in our church. We want to celebrate that. I've heard some husbands in our church family joke that the secret of a happy marriage is to do what you're told. And um, that's great banter, but if that reflects the dynamics of a relationship, the husbands, as likely as not, are going to leave religion to the wife. What the husband needs, if you're the mature Christian and you're, or you're the wife, what the husband needs is not so much words. He does need words, but he needs actions. He needs to see how real it is in your life and see the way that actually knowing Jesus transforms you to be a more beautiful woman as you, in character, become more and more Christ-like. And as he experiences a strong woman who's more than his equal, but who's actually prepared to invest in him and help him to lead, then he will think, well, that's weird. None of my mates at work have got that going on in their marriages. What's going on here? And the prayer and the hope is that that will make him want to explore more about Jesus Christ. If, on the other hand, you're a man married to a, um, a woman and you know that she believes it and well, you're not really sure you do. Uh, she believes it far more than you do. Then maybe what Peter's talking about today is making sense to you and thinking, oh, okay, maybe actually God's doing something here. Maybe I've got an opportunity in my marriage to see something in my wife that... I should be exploring myself. I've still got lots of questions. And if that's you, I would urge you to ask those questions. Um, on the back of the term card is um, my contact details and the suggestion of a really good course. We could meet up over coffee or a, or a beer and um, talk about uh, Luke's Gospel, Uncover is the course. It's really good. Just an opportunity to discover and explore more. Uh, drop me a line. We can uh, meet up over the summer. Third category under women, uh, unmarried women who are still trying to meet someone. Girls, this is not a justification for marrying a non-Christian, what Peter writes here, because if you read 1 Corinthians 7, it's clear there that uh, God's will, if you're his daughter, is for you to look for a believer. That's what your heavenly father wants for you. The dynamics described here actually help us to understand why God says that in 1 Corinthians 7. Because in a marriage, uh, you're tied in the, most, in the closest possible way to another human being. The closest possible human relationship. And so if, you, if the relationship with God isn't also shared with the person that you're closely tied with, then there's going to be some tensions there the most important relationship in your life, and you can't fully open your heart. You can't, be, you can't fully share the, the deepest things about yourself, about your relationship with God. And the woman in that situation will desperately want to talk to him about it, desperately want him to know Jesus too. But as soon as she starts talking, she basically ends up preaching, and according to Peter, that isn't going to go well. And the husband in that relationship, well, he loves his wife. But when push comes to shove, 
he thinks that what she really believes about God isn't true. It's in the same category as, you know, Father Christmas and Peter Pan. Maybe a bit more important than Father Christmas and Peter Pan because it gives us some moral values as we grow up. But it's, it's, not, it's not true. It's not the kind of solid truth that you make financial decisions on the basis of or plan your future on the basis of or how you approach the working week. He, he doesn't believe that that's the case. And so there's a loss of intimacy or loss of something in the marriage that's supposed to be there which is why God says to his daughters, look for a believer. And it also tells you something about the kind of guy you're looking for. It's not just any old believer. It's someone you can relate to as a spiritual leader, not because you find submission easy, but because you've got sufficient respect for him to say, yeah, okay, he's not the finished article, but with my help, he could be. And we could be a team together. We could work at this together in the years ahead. Let's go for it. Uh, P.S. on this point, unmarried men, not only does God want the uh, same for us as he wants for the women to uh, marry a fellow believer, but there just are no excuses in my experience for uh, us blokes uh, thinking about marrying someone who's not a Christian because there are lots of lovely Christian girls who want to settle down with the right guy. So guys, let's, uh, those of us who aren't married, let's use our energies uh, to work at becoming the kind of bloke it's worth marrying. Yeah? Let's move on to the final verse. And uh, the key to a happy marriage for men. It's in verse 7, and it's this uh, expression, be considerate, which is not actually about particularly being uh, kind. It's not being sort of be, oh, yes, be all very kind and in a sort of patronizing way. It's actually saying, consider, think, use your understanding, living together according to knowledge is the key to a happy marriage for the man. It's saying to him, saying to you blokes who are married, put in the time, put in the effort, put in the work to understand your wife, really to listen to her, not just to hear the words and say, yeah, 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 right, I'm off down to the pub now with my mates, love, thanks, see you later, to listen to her. Actively listen. What does she mean when she's speaking? What, what do I know about her already? What is she saying now? What is she feeling now? What is she revealing about herself, her needs, her desires, her concerns, her priorities at this moment? And make that your lifelong mission in your marriage. Actually, if we're being thorough, this is also a fruit <laughs> This, these are the apples on the tree. The tree, if there's a clue in verse 7, is realising we are joint heirs of the gracious gift of eternal life. That's who you are married to. Someone for whom Christ died, who is going to inherit eternity with you and is just going to get more and more and more beautiful through the years and then be transformed to be entirely like Christ. We're both, in, in a marriage, man and woman, in a position of huge privilege and we want to live everything in response for Christ's sake. And so in marriage for the man, it means your lifelong mission is to know your wife, to honour her and to respect her, telling her how precious she is, both privately and particularly in public, 
giving the highest priority to her needs in the choices you make. Any choice that affects the, the, the future direction of the family, of, of the marriage, it's her needs that are paramount, not yours, blokes. How you use the time, how you use the money, and so on. And the man must realise that the ball is in his court to work at the relationship, to make it one which is one of honour and respect. He's the leader, and it's described here that the wife is the weaker partner. Now, I'm sure that really does get the hackles raised, but notice what Peter's saying as he says that. He's, he's, he's talking in that way to say, not to put the woman down, but to say, folks, recognise the difference between men and women, and... Notice that the man is to treat the woman in such a way as he doesn't hurt her. That's, that's the point of Peter talking about that. So what's meant by weaker? Well, physically, women are generally not as physically strong as men. There are exceptions. And what that means is that men must not physically or metaphorically push their wives around. Must not use their greatest strength physically in a way that is in their interest but not in their wives' interests. There may also be a cultural and legal context that Peter has in mind of the authority that the husband has in the marriage. He mustn't misuse that for selfish ends, but rather use it to honour his wife. It may also mean that uh, women generally have a greater emotional sensitivity than men, which is a massive strength. But in a situation of conflict between the man and the woman, the woman is more likely to be hurt. The husband must not take advantage of that. The husband is to remember that he and his wife are joint heirs of the gracious gift of eternal life. And so understand and love and respect and honour his wife. And look at God's goal for a good marriage right at the end of verse 7. It talks about nothing hindering your prayers. The beautiful picture of the husband and wife as a team, as a unit as taking a lead spiritually in their family, of blessing others around them as they pray for people in their network, as they get involved in church and bless the church by their prayers. It's a wonderful picture of men and women blessing each other, growing up and making a difference in all of the circles that they're part of. So men, take the time to develop and maintain a good marriage. That's God's will for you. It's your worship if you're a married man. It's the most important priority, other than keeping God first, is to be a good husband if you're married. And it's a spiritual activity, which is pleasing to God. And when we get it right, men... It'll free our prayers and empower our spiritual impact. Keep to a happy marriage for the women. Hope in God. And work at this kind of relationship where you're prepared to submit to your husband. And you work at helping him to be a good leader so that you're willing to submit to your husband. Key to a happy marriage uh, for men. Remember that we're joint heirs with Christ, uh, joint heirs of God's amazing gift of eternal life, his gracious gift with wives. And so remember how precious you are 
and your wife is to God and work at understanding your wife, a lifelong work, honouring, respecting her and serving her to help her to be more and more beautiful and more and more Christ-like. Both roles, we do it all for Christ's sake, for the Lord's sake. That makes for good marriages. It makes for a church family where we, um, you know, we singles want to support our married friends in this. Uh, In turn, as uh, marriages are happy and flourishing, the church itself will be blessed and it will all bring glory and praise to God that he deserves. Let's just uh, close with a prayer. Lord, we're all different uh, individuals. We're uh, at different stages of life. We're men and women. Lord, but you know each of us. You know why you cause these words to be written in Scripture and what you want each one of us to take away from them. And so, Father, we pray that we might, uh, even if your word to us has been a real challenge this morning, that we might go away with your word in our hearts, trusting. Help us, Lord, help, by your spirit, help us to continue to understand. And we pray that the families in our church, the marriages in our church, the church family as a whole would be healthy with really excellent relationships between husbands and wives and between us all as men and women and and boys and girls within the church family. Give us your grace, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.